1: Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are charting this sell-off. Chartmaster Carter Worth says the market is approaching a key level of support. So is a turnaround coming? He'll break down what he is seeing in the charts. Plus, we're all over the after-hours action shares of Nike and Micron. Both stocks on the move right now. Strong moves higher. Their calls are now underway. We'll break down all the big headlines from the quarters. And later, Carnival cruising higher. The company out with a bullet forecast heading into next year. So is it really smooth sailing for this trade? We will find out. But we start off with a rough kickoff to the week. S&P, Dow, Nasdaq all dropping more than a percent today as rising cases of the Omicron variant spook investors. Markets did close well off the lows of the day, but nine of 11 S&P sectors were still lower, with financials and materials seeing the biggest losses. Ten-year yields, meantime, ticked slightly higher as markets continued to digest last week's Fed meeting. So are we in for more pain ahead as we look to wrap up the year, and I know you guys noticed this. I noticed this that when the ten-year yield seemed to bottom intraday, that's when the markets turned around. Guy,
2: yeah, and you know Brian Kelly, who by the way is a visionary, he brought up the fact that Turkey was imploding. I think a lot of it had to do with some of the commentary from the government there. Turkish lira reverse, I think that was big. I don't want to make people's eyes glaze over on a holiday week. I'll say this couple of encouraging things today. The VIX sort of reversed all day, still closed higher, but with a 22 handle. IWM defended that 210 level, closed above it. That's been key support. And 4530 in the S&P, which was a prior all-time high back on September 1st, I believe, was traded down to today, bounced off of all good things. So I don't know what CBW is going to say, but I think the market can bounce from here.
3: Yeah, Tim? Well, you have a case where we had three different things to digest. We had certainly Omicron. We had uh, Build Back Better or... Build back bad or, you know, whatever it is. But I think the growth dynamics are, are, are the biggest issue. And then uh, some of the broader uh, fears related to the Fed. And I think um, that's the stuff that the market's more worried about than the virus. I, I don't mean to be insensitive. And it's certainly a tough time for the world to be seemingly kind of hunkering in in the holidays. A lot of stuff's getting canceled. But, but this isn't where the market is cautious. And, and the growth scare that we're seeing in that 10-year yield, which intraday uh, touched at least the bottom end of that uptrend from the July or the August 4th low in yields, is something that bears watching. I think, guy mentioned the VIX. I-, I think a VIX at 22, 23 is too low given the environment, and that has me a little bit concerned. So, um, a day when equities did rally back from the abyss, uh, we're down five percent, you know, or so. Uh, if you look at the high-growth parts of the market, whether you're looking at the Nasdaq 100 or the Triple Qs, um, or you're looking at the semiconductors, you now semis are down five percent relative to the S&P in the last month, and I think that's something that still continues to bear watching. A chart that I think we have to pay attention to. Uh, And I know we'll talk micron and and some other earnings in a second. But, uh, you know, the market's growth handles have been things that have been struggling of late. And today was another one of those days. It's not the virus as much as interest rates and government stimulus.
1: Yeah. um, Tom Lee had an interesting call out today and it was very tactical call. And we're going to have him on tomorrow. But basically, just to paraphrase, the market's going to discount the peak of Omicron in advance. And so he is predicting that we're going to see some sort of sort of bottom in equities between December 22nd and December 24th. So again, an extremely tactical call. But Dan Nathan, do you buy that notion that here we're getting really concerned about this variant, the impact on the economy and growth, et cetera, et cetera, but the markets will bottom before we actually see the peak?
4: Yeah, and I guess that's if you decide that the volatility, at least the downward volatility over the last few weeks, has had to do with this variant that's now been around with us for over three weeks here. And, you know, I think the guys, Guy and Tim laid it out. There's a lot of different things going on. We still have, you know, the S&P 500 up 21%. We have the NASDAQ up um, over 16%. The problem that I see as it relates to the market here is that there's technology and then there's everything else. And within technology, there are two markets. There's the data. You remember last week when Carter Braxton Worth came on and he gave us some stats out of the russell 3000 okay Mm -hmm. there were 35 percent of the stocks we're down 30% or more. Well, that number has increased since he gave us that data. There was 26.5%, we're down 40% or more. So if you think about that, there's just a handful of stocks that are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So as they think about equities and how they bottom, they can only really bottom if those big names that have outperformed actually kind of hold on here and then start to move back towards their highs. So to me, I just don't think it's a particularly constructive environment for stocks. When you think about how much we're up right now, given where valuations are, given the concern about yields and what the Fed may or may not do, and obviously the uncertainty that's coming from this virus. Nobody thought in December of 2022, at the beginning of this year, that we are, excuse me, December 21, that we'd still be dealing with this sorts of fits and starts as it relates to the pandemic here. So to me, I just don't think it's a constructive environment as we head into January, no matter whether we bother them on the 23rd or the 28th or January.
1: Unless you believe that the big cap names, mostly big cap technology, Dan, I think is what you're referring to, actually provide some defense. There is that school (laughs) of thought that big cap tech is, is your shelter in the storm, Jeff Mills. I don't know if you buy that, but if you do buy that and enough people do, then maybe that part of the market can actually hold up.
5: It's certainly been the case in recent years, but I'll just go off what the market's been telling us lately, and it's that that's not necessarily going to be the case. I think you're starting to see some cracks in that area of the market, and usually for the market to bottom, you need to see some of the strongest stocks fall first. So I would be more in Dan's camp. that There's probably more to go here before we find a bottom, and I think there were some confusing signals in the market today. Josh Brown put this out earlier today. I thought it was interesting, but... You have Pfizer and Clorox up today by a pretty good amount. So that's kind of COVID is a problem. And then you had Carnival Cruise Lines and American Airlines up today as well by a pretty good margin. So that's sort of the everything is fine camp. So nobody tends to agree on much these days. The market seems not to agree either. But if you do pull it back to a sector level, I think things look decidedly defensive. So what worked today? It was stables, utilities. Healthcare, uh, And I do think that COVID cases are going to start to look scary over the next couple of weeks. I don't know that cases are necessarily the right metric now, um, but I do think that the market could react to that uh, in a meaningful way, given the fact that we do only have a few other names propping up the market right now. So I'd watch the 50-day. We're sort of breaching that today. But I'm looking to 4,300. That was both kind of the delta low. and It's actually also now the rising 200-day moving average. So keep an eye on that level.
1: Dan Suzuki at uh Richard Bernstein advisors put this out today, a note, and it's called um, defensive bubbles. De- defensive bubble stocks are like umbrellas in hurricanes. So basically the notion that even in defensive sectors, they will go down if the entire market is going to go down. Guy, would you agree with that take?
2: Steve Grasso talks about that all the time. The number of stocks whose you know correlation is basically one to the S&P 500 on meaningfully up or down days. So the take is absolutely correct but Dan I think Dan's point and then you know Carter's point prior to that about beneath the surface you know that's one thing we've mm-hmm. been talking about despite the fact that the S&P is still within an you know earshot of an all-time high you've seen stocks major market cap names down anywhere from 30 to 70 percent over the last month and a half two months that damage has been done um, it's just a matter of time before the broader market catches up I say we're going to bounce because if you just look at today's action to me, it means in the short term, we're due for a pretty significant bounce. We have absolutely seen that movie many times before.
1: Yeah, and to, to Jeff's point, um, Tim, when you take a look at what went up today, I mean, it's, it's all over the map. There's not a clear message from the markets. I mean, when you see lift up more than a percent, Walmart turning around and ending the day positive um, as well, and then Clorox, I mean, it's just sort of you, you don't really get a clear direction one way or another. It, didn't, it wasn't a, a risk on, risk off sort of day. I mean, just, you know, across the board, clear cut.
3: No, and I think it's, you know, the market's being a little smarter than than just one beta mm-hmm. to, to growth, whether it's Omicron or whether it's, you know, maybe fear of the Fed moving too quickly. But you, you, you're seeing the stocks that, that also have had a lot of pressure because no one believes the valuation or the valuation um, is a function of a company that makes no money. A lot of those stocks set even fresh lows today, names we've been talking about. Um, and then you do have names. I, I believe a Walmart, and I've talked about it, and I'm long Walmart. So, uh, you know, I, I think they can be defensive in this environment. I do think that there are names uh, that we see that are a function truly of fundamentals in an environment where the Fed's going to be more aggressive. I, I mean, investors have to get comfortable with this concept, and the central banks around the world are slowly reeling in where they can give or take a a few trouble spots around the world where they have to throw liquidity. And that even includes China. So, uh, yeah, interesting day. Uh, Nice to see that not everything moves in the same direction or um, they move in the same direction with different arguments for why they might go higher or lower. Um, But I I still think that the markets had a major move. This is what Guy said. This is what Dan said already, um, even if the headline hasn't done a whole lot. So some of these stocks reacting to fundamentals, I think, is good news for investors.
1: All right. Our next guest sees more pain ahead in tech. Joe Ziedel is Blackstone's chief investment strategist and senior managing director. Uh, Joe, good to see you. Um, You're forecasting a Fed course of rate hikes that will be, quote unquote, aggressive. What does that mean exactly? Aggressive and inappropriate, aggressive and necessary?
6: Well, thanks, Melissa, for having me. I think it's aggressive and it's necessary. And if you look at, you know, the the, the market's take on the Fed um, over the past couple months, you know, it is really starting to really acknowledge that inflation. I think is going to be a lot more persistent. So, if you go back to the beginning of, you know, the the fourth quarter, the market was pricing in maybe one Fed hike in 2022. Uh, today, the markets pricing in uh, basically three full hikes so so i think it's going to take that and it may end up taking even more and if you think about the market since september it's roughly been flat vol's been a lot higher vix went from you know 15 to say 25 over that period so i think this fourth quarter is kind of giving us a preview as to what we might expect in 2022 when the fed does uh begin hiking rates
3: Joe, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. The question really around rates is how how do you gauge? You guys are fixed income investors as much as any in an environment where um, both equities will struggle with the Fed, but also so will fixed income. Can you help investors that are
6: concerned on both sides of the balance sheet? Sure. I think it's going to make for a challenging environment, especially in traditional forms of fixed income. Uh, I think investors ought to be considering alternative forms of fixed income where you have the ability to reset rates higher. That would be things like floating rate. Uh, as well as generally shortening duration. And I think that's going to be important across other asset classes as well. You know, real estate can uh, serve as a form of, an alternative form of fixed income in that you can get, you know, uh, you can get uh, pretty good income streams and have the ability to grow income at the same time. So I think in an inflationary backdrop where the Fed is hiking, the ability to grow income streams will be critically important. And I think current cash flow is going to end up being king, certainly outperforming those future cash flows.
5: Hey Joe, it's Jeff Mills. So I'll take a question on, on the equity side of the equation. So thinking about sort of the natural tension between a more aggressive Fed and then potentially a slowing economy into those rate hikes, how do you think about equity market leadership? Obviously, you know, rising interest rates, potentially bad for tech, but if you do have a slowing economy, then that's potentially a tailwind for tech as investors look for growth wherever they can find it. So how are you thinking about kind of the push and pull there?
6: Yeah, I, I think there is going to be some tension in, in 2022, but I think there's another scenario, and that is an economy that continues to boom at the same time rates are going higher. You know, the difference between what the Fed is doing now and what it did in, in December 2013 when it last tapered is that back then in December 2013, households and corporations were still very much on their heels. You know, consumer net worth hadn't fully recovered at the point in which the Fed was was tapering before and corporate profits hadn't fully recovered either now if you fast forward to today consumer net worth is is basically a record high you know you can think of that as the value of your house plus a stock portfolio and today notwithstanding consumer net worth has basically been going almost straight up uh since covid and at the same time corporate profits are likely to set a record as well so i think the the alternate course here could be an economy that continues to boom in 2022 in a self-sustaining way as policymakers transition to uh the private sector but at the same time inflation moves higher and there i think the tug of war is going to be between those companies that have high current cash flow or the ability to grow that cash flow versus the more speculative companies where those cash flows are are weighted to the very distant future and i think the more cyclically oriented companies will be the outperformers all
1: right. And uh, Joe, by the way, likes housing and cyclicals as well as value into 2022. Great to see you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Guy, I know, as you like to say, you dig Joe. Do you like? Do you dig what Joe wants to buy next year?
2: And I congratulate him on his Hall of Fame induction long overdue. Uh, cyclicals, yes. And if you mean cyclicals in terms of resources, which I, I, I do, I think you got to be in those names. Now, they've been volatile. I mean, you just look at what Alcoa has done over the last couple of weeks, some of the fits and starts. But I think if you can stomach, if you have the temerity to stomach some of those moves, I think that's where you want to be in the resource trade. You congratulate
1: him because he's Jay-Z. I just want to connect the dots for the viewers who don't, <laughs> who don't follow this
2: along. I mean, you know? why, why do I have to, you have to connect people? <laughs> <Know that. laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. come on. It's fast okay.
1: um, we've got an earnings alert here on Nike. shares of the company jumping after reporting earnings. Let's get to Sarah Eisen with all the details. Sarah.
7: Hi, Melissa. Well, John Donahoe, the CEO of Nike, just kicked off the conference call with a very nice tribute to the late designer Virgil Abloh, of course, legendary designer who did work with Nike on some important collaborations. Donahoe also talking about the strength in the business, a strong holiday sales period, for instance, and did say that the company is in a stronger position than it was 18 months ago, speaking there to the continued trend in athleisure and in people's healthy lifestyles. As far as the quarter, Supply chain issues are still hurting Nike sales. Overall, the company did better than expectations though. These are widely known going into the quarter. 11.4 billion in revenues, 1% growth from last year. That was certainly better than expectations. If you break it apart though, there was a big difference in North America, which was strong and China, which was weak. China was the low point, down 20% revenues from last year. And that was even worse than analysts were expecting. But the company is chalking it up to temporary issues like supply chain, low inventories because of the factory shutdowns in places like Vietnam and also rolling shutdowns in China as well. As far as the stronger points of the quarter, Nike Direct, which goes direct to consumer, continues to grow 9 percent. Digital, still growing double digits, 12 percent. And North America was particularly strong, up 12 percent as well. And so that's what the bulls are hanging on to at this point. So far, there's no sign that there's any brand momentum or, or issues in China, which is really the growth market for this company. But that's going to be a key question as we await earnings guidance, which usually comes from the CFO on the call in a few moments. The other thing I'll be listening for, Melissa, will be the tech strategy. So John Donahoe did come from ServiceNow and eBay. And Nike Digital has been a differentiator for this company. It has helped it outgrow a lot of the competitors, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. What is it thinking about next? Just last week, it made a undisclosed terms deal for Artifact, which is a little startup that makes NFTs for sneakers and other collectibles want to know what's going on there as far as the strategy and how big this is going to be. They've also filed trademarks that indicate they are going to be getting more into NFTs around sneakers and, and other products with the Nike symbol and, and the metaverse as well. So I think that'll increasingly become an issue and a, and a point of interest for investors. So far, though, the stock is up three and a half percent after hours on the idea that it was better than anticipated. We'll wait to hear, though, to see what, what guidance looks like in a few minutes.
1: The China decline seems eye-popping, Sarah, but at the same time, how does it stack up to what analysts were expecting? I'm just wondering why the factory shutdowns wouldn't have impacted North America sales as much as they did China.
7: So different lead times for China. It certainly takes a little bit longer. And also, China's been much more strict. As you know, Melissa, when it comes to the COVID-19 lockdowns, local restrictions, Mm -hmm. as soon as they get a cluster of cases, they just shut it down. So that impacts the stores and the factories in China, and and it makes it for a difficult environment. Now, analysts, to your point, we're worried about China going in. They were expecting it to be down, but it, it came in a little bit worse than expected on that front that we're expecting around $2 billion. It came in slightly worse on the numbers, but it's key to see how long that's going to be. So far, Nike has has indicated it's just transitory. And in fact, Donahoe, just a few moments ago on the call said they continue to be number one on Mall in their category and other sort of anecdotal reference points to, to indicate that the brand strength is still there in China. They're just going through some difficulty around COVID.
1: All right, Sarah, thank you. Sarah Eisen, who will be on the Nike call. Tim Seymour, I'll go to you as a shareholder here on um, what you make of the quarter.
3: Well, I, I like the quarter-over-quarter quarter digital sales up 12%. I, I like gross margin that was up 250 basis point to 45.6%. I mean, these, these are things that you want to see from Nike. China was so well flagged. I, I think this is why the market's looking past it. And again, 1.8 uh, versus 2.2 uh, on the billion side and, and the expectation that, that we knew we were going to see this weakness. I, what's interesting about Nike investors for the overall market is at, at various touch points, and this is another one of those times, Nike has been an important lighthouse, I think, in the storm of uncertainty or or, or the fog, um, that is supply chain. That is just growth. And and to what extent, you know, remember when Asia closed down first, Nike was the first one to give us some sense of where it was starting to see some recovery. But in terms of inventories and saying that they're now uh, up 7% on inventories to where they were a year ago is some sense of, of that things are starting to ease up. Again, Nike, a very important tell overall, I think, for demand, but also what's going on in global supply chain.
1: Yeah, agree with that, but at the same time, coming out of, of the difficulties in the supply chain issues, it may be the strongest who recover first, so, so the overall recovery in supply chain issues may not actually take place for all. Jeff Mills, I'm wondering what your read on Nike is and how much of a bellwether it is for you, whether it be for supply chain issues or for other you know cohorts in the sector like a Foot Locker or a Dix or, or whatnot.
5: Yeah, I think it's very important. Tim kind of touched on all the positive for the quarter, so I won't go back to that, but I do like the idea that it held 152, as was kind of that upward sloping 200 day moving average. So technically the chart looks good. And I've been bringing up Nike a lot in talking about kind of this low end versus high end consumer discussion that we've been having. And I actually think that, you know, I've been talking about Nike falling in the high end and being better suited for the environment that we're going into. I actually think the developments with Build Back Better play into that. So. With Build Back Better passing, you were going to have $100 billion of additional child tax credits. You're going to get a higher SALT cap, so that's additional $50 billion in payments. That's gone. So I think for, further focusing on these high-end brands, companies with really specific growth stories, Nike's always in the top five in all these teen surveys, so you want ubiquitous brands. I still think Nike has that. The quarter was strong. So in terms of a relative play in retail, still very much in favor of Nike. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, I think that,
4: you know, Tim highlighted that direct to consumer, that tech aspect of it. And I think that that's really important, especially when you consider what, you know, some of these retailers are dealing with. I know that, you know, we've had some big moves in in, in Dix of late. I mean, it's down 30 percent, but it's still up 90 percent on the year. Footlocker has been very volatile. And I just think that that direct channel is going to be more important if there's any, uh, you know, there's ever a brand that can create community that creates brand affinity. It's them. And when you talk about some of the things that they are doing as it relates to, you know, the acquisition that they made um, for this company to have digital goods in the metaverse. I mean, that all fits into Nike's play. So that's going to be something that I think people are going to keep an increased uh, view on.
1: All right. Coming up, the chart master will join us to break down today's sell off. Where are the markets heading from here? Carter Worth's key levels are ahead. But first, we're all over the after hours action in Micron. That chip stock just out with earnings in the conference call is underway. The stock is up six percent. We've got the details next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Micron. Shares of the chipmaker surging in the after hours. Let's get to Seema Modi for the breakdown of the company's quarter. Seema.
0: Hey, Melissa. Micron's revenue guide for next year. Enough to send shares of the chip manufacturer up over 6%. And after hours trade here, CEO Sanjay Malhotra says the secular demand for memory and storage, along with Micron's focus on building our technology and product leadership and deepening our customer relationships, continues to strongly position us to create significant shareholder value in fiscal year 2022 and beyond. Now, on the chip shortage, Micron says it's entered into strategic agreements to secure supply of certain components that we need to manufacture our products. As a result, the current tight supply of these components is expensive expected to gradually improve throughout 2022. Um, are also dropping a line on the metaverse, saying the build out of immersive virtual worlds often referred to as the metaverse will offer even more opportunity due to the intensive use of significant memory and storage. And these applications. Now, as to where he sees growth going forward, Micron sees automotive and industrial to be the fastest growing memory and storage markets over the next decade. And executives uh, say it's well positioned as with over 10 percent of its revenue coming from these specific end markets. Again, we're looking at shares higher by six percent, but it has lagged the broader S&P Semiconductor Index so far this year, Melissa.
1: Yep. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. I mean, the Sox guy is up 33 percent so far this year. And Micron is just a real laggard here. I mean, what do you they're saying all the right things? Automotive
2: metaverse. Yeah. Well, the hope and look, this is the way I look at it. The hope with Micron is you've taken some of the cyclicality out of the name. Right. That's why why it trades the way it does. That's why, by the way, it stopped going up in April and just got lambasted into the fall. Now it's off the mat. This quarter should be the one that gets the stock back to 97, in my opinion. Look at uh, operating margins. Came in close to, I think, 35.5% twice of what they were last year and better than what the street was looking for this quarter. So this should be good enough. I hope it takes some of the cyclicality out of the name. And I think the stock could trade close to 97 bucks over the next couple
4: weeks.
1: Dan, NVIDIA or Micron from here?
4: You know, you know, it's funny, Mel, we were seeing this, and you brought this up. The first thing that you said, it's been a real laggard, right? This is a really cheap stock relative to some of the stocks like NVIDIA that are driving the performance in the SMH or in the socks, right? And so to me, I guess I'm probably more inclined to go with a value with Micron than I am with NVIDIA right now. NVIDIA is in the midst of a big correction, while Micron has come off the mat. It's up about 25, uh, maybe 30% with these games in the aftermarket here. So I'd rather play for Micron to 100 than and Nvidia back to its prior highs.
1: All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
2: Coming up, charting the sell-off. Where are markets going from here? The Chartmaster joins us next to break it all down. Plus, despite COVID fears, one travel stock sees smooth sailing ahead. Should this name cruise into your portfolio? Stick around for that trade and more. You're watching Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
8: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until. That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand.
1: Wait, did that agenda just write itself?
8: Words appear, making this unexplainable case.
1: Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
8: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
1: Canva.com, designed for work.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery...
1: Welcome back to Fast Money Markets, dropping more than a percent to start off the week. The S&P marking its lowest close since December 3rd. And the chartmaster says we could be bumping up against a key support level. Let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you looking at?
9: Sure. I mean, you know, the remarkable thing, of course, is before we look at the charts is how little damage there's still been done at the index level. The Russell 3000, effectively 98 percent of the investable universe in the United States is down a mere five percent. And yet half of all stocks have lost 20 percent in the index let's look at a couple of charts and try to figure it out the first is the s p and what we know of course is we've sold off to that september high and so what is the concept of support well we're just now down to support but support is not a plywood board or a concrete floor it's a mattress top once at support you can sink into support so look at the next chart so support begins at the 45.45 45 level, that's the September high, but it goes all the way down to the lows of October. And you can see that's there at the 4280, 4300 level. Look at the third chart. So I try to put this all in context. We're at support, but the principle is that often you sink into support down into the mattress until you ultimately bounce. I don't think we're finished with the sell-off. Where could we go? Well. You could go anywhere, but let's look at the last two charts. Were we simply to go to the midpoint of where the support is in play, would be a 6.8% drawdown from the peak. And the last chart, were we to go to the bottom? Uh, That would be a drawdown of about 9.5%. Now it's important to say the last time we had a a 10% uh, peak to trough decline was exactly a year ago. And so this kind of thing used to be ordinary, but in the markets of late, it's not. I think at some point it will be ordinary again.
1: Are there sectors, Carter, that offer some, um, you know, defense amidst this potential sell-off, even if it's just a sinking into the mattress top sort of sell-off?
9: Sure. I mean, it's, it's the, the playbook is quite often the playbook from history. It's things that are lower beta that are defensive in nature. And so staples, of course, act well. Utilities act well. Highly defensive, marquee, large cap, certain tech stocks act well, et cetera and so forth.
1: Okay. Carter, thank you. Always good to speak with you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Guy is chuckling, I think, about the mattress top is my guess.
2: I mean, Carter should do commercials like Casper. He's a genius. He's a marketing genius. He doesn't even realize. I want to be his agent. I'll quit everything else and just sort of be his agent. Genius. Is that all the commentary you have?
9: Oh, I didn't know you wanted me to talk.
2: Listen. I agree. I mean, I don't know if it's a mattress top or a firm mattress or, or water mattress for that matter, but I think where we trade it down to today in the S&P 500 should provide short-term support. So although I think the beginning of the year is going to be challenging, I would think the next couple of days is going to be pretty good for the broader market.
1: Jeff, do you go by that old playbook that seems to be working or have worked? Looks like it's relative strength here.
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Carter glanced across two things that I think are interesting. Number one, sort of the average stock being down 20%. I went back and looked to 1980 through today, and if you look at 10 to 20% corrections, so not bear markets, the average stock usually falls about 30% for the market bottom. So we're getting there. We're not there yet. That's why I do think we kind of push into that mattress, as Carter said, and I'm looking to that 4,300 level. But also, I mentioned this on Friday, there has been a tone change in the market, and a lot of that has to do with staples over discretionary. That's really been kind of a beacon for risk on, risk off since the bottom in 2020, with discretionary beating staples sort of week in and week out. That has reversed. So I'll be looking to that relationship to try to see when that tone changes again and the market can go higher. Dan? Yeah, I'll
4: just say keep an eye on a few things here. Okay, so like to me, you know, the S&P 500, it broke that uptrend that had been in place for a very long time, for over a year. That's important. JP Morgan also down 11 percent from its highs here, broke its uptrend um, that that had been in crude oil, broke its uptrend that that is in. So when I hear utilities are acting well, staples are acting well, I don't get particularly bullish here. And so my call very simply would be like, let's get oversold. Let's not bounce off a really soft mattress. here. Here. Let's put a little fear in the market is what I'm kind of saying, because that would be the best setup for 2022. When you consider the fact that growth is likely to disappoint, right? And inflation is likely to come in. That's my take. Okay, those two things, you might say, Alright, well, that's not so bad. But if you want to set up for a constructive thing where rates are going higher, like Jay Z just said next year, then you want some fear in the market here. And that would be a great time over the next few weeks. And then my take would be, back into that growth at a reasonable price, which is your Apple. It's basically your QQQ for all intents and purposes.
1: I mean, if Russell 3000 is only 5% off the peak, then maybe a feather bed would be the best medicine. But, um, you know, in terms of sinking deeper than the, just the mattress top, you know, a feather bed offers not much support. But there's a little bit in there. So, Tim, where, where, do you say, where do you say we go?
3: Well, so if you lie on a bad mattress, you can get a pretty <laughs> stiff neck. And, and I, I think you, you have a situation here where if you look at the S&P, we've only tested down to the 100 day a couple times in, in really since the COVID. So through the downside of the 100 day, we only did that back in the September to October period, and we kissed there in early December. That, that was a nice posturpedic mattress. I mean, that was a place where you rested nicely. Um, but I, I, I do think that the market wants to test through this 100 day. It's amazing that we have not. Um, and again, it goes all the way back to the last place we really did that was through to the downside of COVID. With, with mm. the Fed, with some, other uncertainties, possibly some concern that the government's not throwing money at you. Um, yeah, I think this is not, you know, not the softest mattress in the world. Maybe it's maybe it's too soft. How about uh, that?
1: I feel like uh, Goldilocks here. Um, OK, coming up, the EV socks losing power today. Stick around. We'll tell you what is shutting these names down. Plus, your holiday crepes might be a little less delicious this year due to the latest global supply chain issue. We've got the all important details and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. EV makers losing some power today as President Biden's Build Back Better plan hits a major roadblock on Capitol Hill. Phil LeBose got the details. Hey, Phil.
8: Hey, Melissa. Remember what this Build Back Better EV incentive plan was all about as part of the overall bill, If you bought an electric vehicle, depending on where it was built, you were going to get either $12,500, that's for those built at a union shop, or $7,500 for an EV built at a non-union shop. And the important thing here, it could be applied at the dealership. Why is that important? The current incentive is a federal tax credit. Many people do not believe it's terribly effective. To say, hey, next year when you file your taxes, take off seventy-five hundred dollars. It's not the same as saying, you know what? We're going to lock not uh, fifteen thousand or, or I'm sorry, twelve thousand five hundred off the price of an EV at the dealership. Despite this bill apparently being dead. It's not going to change things in terms of what people are expecting for EV sales, at least over the next couple of years. I've checked around in the industry and most believe that the pace of sales, at least through 23, 24, and 25, is likely to stay the same. LMC Automotive thinks it's going to top 2 million by 2025. And for Tesla, GM, and Ford, remember, they have already set up pretty much what they're planning on building over the next couple of years, and they have strong demand for the models, whether it is a Model S or a Model Y, uh, a Model 3 in the case of Tesla, whether it's the Mach-E or the Lightning coming from Ford, and then GM's got, what, the E Silverado in the next couple of years. They also have the Hummer that has just rolled out. They believe that the demand is going to be strong there with or without an expanded EV credit. As for the startups, remember, they already have more orders and reservations than their production plans can account for at least over the next year. So it's going to take some time to fill that out. And one last note, Melissa, remember that the charging station that plays, whether it's ChargePoint, Blink, EVGo, whether you play uh, whichever one you're interested in, the charging infrastructure, the money that's been set aside in the infrastructure bill, that still goes through. It's seven and a half billion dollars. So I saw some of these stocks moving lower today, and I thought to myself, do investors realize this doesn't change for those charging company stocks? They, they still will have that $7.5 billion that's part of the infrastructure bill.
1: Yes, Phil, but if there are fewer cars that charge, then does that ultimately impact them?
8: Well, it, it, theoretically it would, but it, yeah. does it change the growth projection over the next couple of years? Right. And most that I've checked with today say probably not. That's a fast money take, Phil. Thank you.
1: Phil Lebeau. You bet. Uh, Tim Seymour, would you uh, take a look at these charging stations? I mean, Phil brought up a very good point.
3: I, I tell you what, the, the, the valuations across the space are, are something that have caught up to him. And, and it's it just, you know, playing a bet on the future for some of these names has been extraordinary. I, I, I think it's not a question of of the number of stations to me at this point or whether you're going to see fall through an EV. It's game on. It's game on in a big way. And I do think a lot of these folks um, become almost commoditized stories. But at this point, they're trading that they have multiples to, 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 to growth that I think is unlimited. And that's just not the case. That's the problem here. I mean, and then back to like a Rivian, you know, it's down 50 percent in 23 sessions uh, off of its you know peak coming through that IPO. It, it's, it's a valuation story. There's nothing wrong with Rivian. It's a really well-run company, great strategic partners, great engineering. First ones to come to market with an SUV. Uh, beat Tesla, beat Ford, beat GM, um, but not a great valuation. And I think the charging stations look the same way.
1: Yeah. Um, it wasn't just EV makers uh, hitting the skids, so to speak, when uh, the Build Back Better plan stalled. Jeff, I mean, we saw... Also, the the solar stocks really taken on the chin. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering, are there opportunities here uh, in the sector reactions that we've seen on the back of Build Back Better being stalled?
5: I, mean, I, th- I think ultimately there are, right? And I'll just go back to what Elon Musk said a couple of weeks ago. He basically said don't pass the bill. He thought the, the spending was gratuitous. So he thinks longer term, but he clearly doesn't think that. The incentives are going to have an impact on Tesla. So just to reiterate what Phil Phil said, I think it's, it's sort of overblown and there are going to be opportunities. So whether it's a Ford, whether it's a GM, whether it's a Tesla to your point, whether it's some of these solar names, I think it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction that, that might not necessarily hold. I, I think you could also see some short-term extensions for some of these credits. You could actually see separate climate legislation come to the table here. And you know we're all assuming Build Back Better is dead. Um, maybe it's dead in its current form, but maybe it comes back in a form where some of these things still find their way into the bill. So there's a lot of unknowns right now. So I would, I would not take too much out of just one day's moves here.
1: All right. Coming up in today's Sea of Rad, we did find one stock cruising higher. Should you jump on board this name, we'll reveal the bright spot next. Plus, a bet on the banks. One options trader sees the regionals heading higher. We've got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out this rare green spot in today's sell-off. Shares of Carnival climbing higher after the company said it expects to turn a profit in Q2 of next year. Carnival says advanced bookings and ticket prices for the second half of 2022 are levels compared to 2019, so pre-pandemic. So as COVID cases explode once again, is it really smooth sailing for this travel stock? Guy, what I thought was remarkable was that investors really—why are you laughing? Investors want to believe and do believe— this forecast, despite what is going on right now.
2: Yeah. Well, if I want to get nauseous, I'll watch some of the garbage on daytime TV. I mean, I'm not definitely going to need to go on a carnival cruise, but I think it's really interesting that these stocks were higher today. And Phil mentioned earlier, the airlines, or I think it was Phil, maybe it was Jeff. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the airlines, they all topped out March, April, and they went straight down from there. They topped out just when the news was at its best in terms of uh, the vaccines and those types of things. Now when the news seemingly at its worst again, these stocks potentially be putting in a bottom. I think that's really interesting. Tim says it all the time. You buy these things when the news is not, it's just getting incrementally better. And I think that's what might happen here. I look at Expedia today and say, wait a second, that stock got off the mat from 154 to 162. That's telling you something. So I sort of like some of these travel names. Airbnb, throw that in there as well. Yeah, we mentioned Lyft at the
1: top of the show. American Airlines, you see they're up 2%, Tim. Um, what do you make of these these, these
3: specific moves? Well, you, as Guy said, you make the most money when things go from terrible to just bad. Um, in the case of Carnival, look, their, their 23 EBITDA uh, is going to be 15% north of where they were in 2019. So by the second half of this year, uh, sorry, of 22, and as you get into 23, those bookings are gonna be, uh, I, I think, getting back to normal, if not you know, through some of those numbers, as just said. I think you've got a dynamic with the stock where it's interesting, be careful, and we've also said this many times, the EV on this company is very different than it was going into the, the pandemic. So the, the balance sheet is different, uh, the amount of shares outstanding, the dilution, but but again, the stock took 130% move higher to the, the area that essentially that it's now hovered back to, and I think there's decent support here. I think this company, I'm not worried about the short-term headwinds. In fact, I think they've got plenty of liquidity. We heard that from the CEO. Um, there's almost $7 billion in, in available liquidity. Uh, the question is, what do you pay for a company that has a different balance sheet when they will be ahead of 2019
1: EBITDA? Yeah. Um, Jeff, in your view, too early for some of these stocks, or is it time?
5: Well, not too early for a trade. I think you could play it for a trade. But look at how they've traded. You get the big bounce and then a sideways chop. So I think about banks after 2008, tech after 1999. These sort of of eye-of-the-storm industries that have been impaired from a balance sheet perspective, they're sort of dealing with the aftermath of the troubles. You have this exuberance about the recovery, but then reality sinks in and they can be laggards for a very, very long time as banks and tech were after those two periods. So I still think you could have an issue in terms of these stocks in the more medium term. They probably end up being laggards. If if I'm looking for sort of pure reopening plays, I would much rather look to a Live Nation or an MGM. I think they're better suited.
1: All right. Coming up, risk on for the regional banks. One options trader is betting on just that and sees highs ahead. We'll break down that trade for you. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of FTX. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with the information on your screen. All right. Meantime, check out the KRE Regional Bank ETF getting hit hard to start the week. But one options trader is making a multimillion dollar bet that the worst could be over for these stocks. Mike Co joins us with the action. Mike.
2: Yep. KRE, this thing saw almost 10 times the average daily call volume today and calls outpaced puts by over 10 to 1. A lot of that was a result of a purchase of the March 74-76 call spread. We saw over 46,000 of those trade for approximately 45 cents. Buyers of that call spread are obviously betting that the regional banks could test the highs that we saw just over a
9: month ago.
1: All right. Thanks, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, a schmear shortage, first cream cheese, and now everyone's favorite hazelnut spread being added to the hard-to-find list. we got the important details next, plus your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. As if your anxiety isn't already at an all-time high, now a Nutella shortage is looming. Turkey, the world's largest producer of hazelnuts, is in a currency crisis. The lira is collapsing that could put a squeeze on Nutella producer Ferrero, which sources most of its hazelnuts from Turkey. Um, This is an example of how international events really impact us here at home. Dan, are you worried about this shortage?
4: Oh, um, no, I'm not. (laughs) It's gross.
1: He had, by the way, he had his finger in a Nutella jar, not even using a spoon, um, which is a whole other that's story. That's the way we
4: do it. That's the way we do it in our household here.
1: I hope you label your jars then, so you each have one. Um, Guy, are you, are you concerned about this potential shortage, especially around the holidays? People might be, you know, craving a chocolate hazelnut spread on on something or other.
2: It's actually the best story I've heard all day. I mean, that you took it as a negative to me—that's a positive. Just this is all you need to know about Nutella or Nutella. Once you open it, you don't have to refrigerate it. I mean, that speaks volumes as to what's going on there. I mean, no thanks. Just say no, Nutella. Such a grinch when it comes to the spread. All right, final
1: trade time. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
3: I can't believe we're talking about Nutella tonight. Well, look. Uh, And we talked about featherbeds tonight, and I think I look at CarMax KMX touching down on that 200-day, I think is a very soft featherbed for a company trading at 17 times trailing. It's actually value country.
1: Jeff Mills, the general.
5: Boston Beer. This is a stock that was down 66%. I still think it's a pretty attractive business. It looks like the tides are turning. S-A-M.
2: Dan.
4: Yeah,
5: Live Nation holding 100.
2: Guy. Neo, sister. (laughs) Thanks for watching
1: fast. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium
6: businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery